לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Rabbi Elliot Malman in Highland Park, New Jersey, Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemet. And with me, as usual, my good friends, the newly minted Rabbi Dr. Barry Chesler and Rabbi Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky on Shemet in New York City. Rabbi Barry Chesler, Dr. Barry Chesler, is uh, in Salmachekter Day School, Long Island. It's great to see you. Mazel Tov, Barry. Thank you very much. How did it, it go? It went extremely well, and it's it was an effective use of Zoom. So I was very pleased. You were you were sanctifying the Zoom waves. You sanctified Zoom. We did. And Zoom speaking God. of sanctifying Zoom, we are sanctifying Zoom too by discussing Torah. This is. We're, we're, we're rounding the corner on almost a year of uh, Zoom Parsha Talks, which has been just phenomenal. Uh, this week, we have an amazing Parsha. Not that last week was less amazing or next week. Well, next week, maybe. <laughs> but Yitro, this Parsha is, is just a phenomenal Parsha because not only do we really encounter this extraordinary character Yitro, but let's face it, we encounter the God of Israel, the Rabona Shalola. He's even greater than Yitro. Ma'amad Harsinai, Matan Torah is in this Parsha. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let's talk about Yitro. Here the Parsha opens and tells us, Vayishma Yitro Kohen Mityan Choten Moshe. The Parsha introduces Mityan. We, we know him because we've he's Moses' father-in-law, but he hears the priest of Midian, father-in-law of Moshe, et kol asher asa Elohim de Moshe uli Yisrael. He hears about everything that God has done to Moses and Israel, the people. Ki hotzi Adonai et Yisrael mimitzrayim, for God has taken Israel out of Egypt. So we were talking about how do you think he hears? A, B, what does he hear? So the mechanism of communication and the content. Barry? How do you think? I, I asked a question because it's, I, I think, a perplexing question. And what drives the point home for me is that he hears that God led the Israelites out of Egypt. But what did he hear that God actually did? Right? We have this invisible God, so everything is stripped away for him. He hears a report that the Israelites have left Egypt, and it's attributed to God. And I imagine it must perplex him, because how does it work? Unless we subscribe to one of the early biblical criticism theories that Yitro himself was a worshiper of the, the God of Israel um, at, at Mount Sinai. Um, but it's, it, it is kind of, as I said, it is kind of perplexing. 
I, mean, I don't understand. What do you mean? He's perplexed by by the the. So you know we're. Uh, there's a point I think I've made before. We're so used to reading the book that we don't think about what actually happens in real life. In real life, you don't see God. So when it says God took them out of Egypt, so that reads very nicely on the page. But what is the experience of Yitro? How does he know it's the God of Israel? He knows that the Israelites have left Egypt, obviously. But what else does he know? And why does he attribute it to God? And how does he actually hear? Do we think an Egyptian heard? And Rana told them that some Midianite was wandering around and said, oh, my God, there's two million Israelites on the march. All right. Jeremy, you want to weigh on this question? I mean, just in terms of the, the content, or I, I, I want to ask you then, from what the Torah reports about Yitro, can we make anything out about his character? What kind of person is he? And, and his response to this information? Well, first of all, I, I always you know, wonder about medieval times and ancient times and biblical and even further ancient times, how they knew anything. I'm always like, just my, my imagination just runs wild when I think, what, what did it mean that people heard about things? And what did it mean that so-and-so was famous? And anyone knows that, you know, like in the Middle Ages, like the Rambam was famous all over the Jewish world, but how did anybody know these things? And how were those things considered reliable? Um, I, I think of Yitro as an extremely positive character, and and Vayichad Yitro, it says at one point, he's delighted in what's going on. And I, I, th I think there is a kind of ecumenism, a kind of, uh, of world spirituality that is manifest in Yitro that even though the relationship and the breach between, between uh, the God of Israel and the people of Israel is not one that he is himself, you know, integrated into. Uh, the people in the ancient world who who worshipped, and he is known as, you know, also Reuel in an, in another place, and Chovav, Chovav the dear one, and Reuel, God's friend. Uh, Yitro represents to me the possibility of a, a kind of uh, international culture of recognizing, like Melki Tzedek in Breshit, of people who are not in our group per se, but with whom we travel and we, we share in our different ways some relationship to the God of the cosmos, the Rabbanu Shalom. Go back to the very beginning when we first meet Yitro, Moshe has watered the flocks for his daughters and they come back early and he asks why they're home. And they say that this nice Egyptian helped us water our flocks and Yitro's response is, so where is he? And immediately he demonstrates the welcoming the guest. He breaks bread, and he's going to break bread with him later in the Parsha again. He is a companion, you know, the one with whom you break bread. And he's an important model, um, as Jeremy mentioned, because he does recall for us Malkit Tzedek. By the way, he's wise. He's, he's no dummy. And in fact, Moshe proves the value of the of the great teaching of Rabbi Tarfon from Pirkei Avot is Ezel Chacham Halomed Mikol Adam. And I think that Yitro represents that, you know, the counterweight to whatever instinct we might have about saying, you know, let's remain insular in our culture, 
the wisdom comes from within us. Uh, and Yitro says, you know what, why don't you learn from some people who might not at first glance seem like they have anything to teach you, but in point of fact, Yitro organizes Am Yisrael to be a more just society because, <laughs> because Moshe, in all of his wisdom, has not helped Tzedek filter down. He's, he's been a source of Tzedek himself, but he hasn't set it up so that other people can experience it. Yitro comes along and says, this is not, <laughs> first of all, you're going to wear yourself out. And Elliot has a great, a great comment about the interpersonal dimension about what it is that he says. But he also structurally creates the possibility of a, of a, a society that manifests more tzedek. Why, why don't you tell us about the interpersonal element? I just want to, I want to make a, a point that says that, that Yitro is possibly a model of a philo-Semite. I mean, these are anachronistic terms here, but he is, he is someone who truly admires and respects the Jewish people, also an anachronism here, the people of Israel, he and the God of Israel. He, he speaks to the God or of the God of Israel in very personal terms, using the name of God. Baruch Adonai, Asher etchem. Blessed is the Lord who has saved you from Paro. And he makes the feast. He makes an Ola Uzvachim. And these are very intimate rituals with the people and with God. And I think the Torah is okay with that. The Torah is really okay with an outsider coming in at the boundary of the Israelite experience and sharing in solidarity with their experience. And then at the end of the story, he will, he will move out. But of course, what he, what, what happens in the duration when he, when he has that immediate experience with Moshe is, is absolutely fascinating. And for lots of reasons that the, the text itself is, is just so compressed and poetic. You remember how we said in Breshit, God bless the narrator. This is one of those stories where, where the, the narrative joy is so, so reflective of how they talk to each other, how the, what the poetry of Yitro and what he says. And the reference, listen to this, I'll give you a, a, a quiz here. Lo tov hadavar asher Question. Where is the only other place in the Torah where the expression lotov is, is found? Right? Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. What's the same here between Garden of Eden and the, uh, the experience? Back um, in the Garden of Eden, when the, when the human is first created, midrashically speaking, I, I, bet, I bet a lot of our, of our thousands of listeners don't know this, but our, midrashically speaking, the first human is created a Janus face hermaphrodite. It's not good for a person to be alone. According to Midrash means, you, I can't make this hermaphrodite. I have to make them people who need each other to continue life, male and female. And uh, But even apart from that, let's let's take it in the way I think most of our listeners are, are accustomed to thinking that there was this human male and there's something missing if people are all by themselves all self-sufficient. We need to be people who need, as Barbara Streisand said, people who need people, and we have to. You, you can't. Yes, she didn't say it. I mean, I think she sang it. She sang it. Yes. Uh, people need other people. Okay. So, so, so let's cut to the chase. I want to add something here, Jeremy, just to piggyback on your point. And so, man—it's not good for man to be alone. And what happens in chapter two of Rashid is woman is created, and Yitro is blessed with seven daughters. And I think because of that, 
his fate and his future is tied up in the destiny of the families of his sons-in-law, of whom Moshe, from our point of view, is the prominent, the prominent one. And so he has a certain solicitude for Moshe as the husband of his daughter Zipporah, and by extension with Moshe's people, which is our people. Right. And so therefore he is very concerned when he sees Moshe from morning to night, dealing with the people, adjudicating their, their little stupid cases, like you didn't return my, you know, tallest bag. And <laughs> you're, you're muted. Uh, Another and, and, Yeah, Sorry, you didn't, you know, and, and, and you stole this from me and you owe me a piece of gum. And Moshe's dealing with all these little things. And, and Yitro's going like, this is insane. This is absolutely insane. And the reason why he sees it insane is, I think, twofold. One, he says, you're going to go crazy. And two, more importantly, my daughter is never going to see you. You're going to be spending from dawn to dusk and beyond dealing with these people, and you're not going to have a life. Now, we understand that Moshe is you know, has to be devoted to the people and that she buys into this. But that's a huge, huge price. And, and I think he has Rachmanis. He's a father. The text overwhelmingly emphasizes Yitro Choten Moshe. How many times this is repeated? Six, seven times. Yitro Choten Moshe. Yitro Chotno, Chotno. His father-in-law, father-in-law. Why? Yeah. yeah. I am your father-in-law. Moshe, I, I am your father-in-law. <laughs> okay. So, the, he's saying he's saying essentially, you know, uh, there's there's perhaps a little bit of self-interest in there, Elliot, because he's saying, okay, you've had two children. You're showman Eliezer. I want some grandchildren. Exactly. Go home. Go home to your wife. Give me some grandchildren. All right. So now, so the lesson we might mention here that. Moshe apparently does not learn, as will be picked up in Sefer B'midbar. Before, before we get to that, so at the, the, take the last line of the story. The last line of the story is, he, gets, he, he appoints all these people, you know, a, a whole legislative branch. So I read that line. Moses sends him away. He sends his father-in-law. And his father, and Yitro goes by himself, for himself, back to his land. Right. So I want to unpack that. And I want to say that part of this is about Yitro having his own life. And part of this is about Moshe needing to be the leader. Because Yitro, before this, Yitro is a mentor. Jeremy, yeah, absolutely. We, we respect the wisdom that comes from everywhere. And Yitro has a lot of wisdom to impart to Moshe. But Moshe can't function in his shadow. Well, because Yitro ultimately is a family man. That's why I think in part he's identified consistently as Moshe's father-in-law. But Moshe sees himself not as a family man, but as a national leader. And here it might be worth thinking a little bit about the names of his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. You know, Gershom, because I was a stranger in a strange land, which we often think of as Egypt, but I think that also might refer to his time in Midian. And from the beginning of his time in Midian, he's identified as Yitro's son-in-law. So there's already a little bit of dissonance between Moshe and Yitro. 
And then the second son, his name is Eliezer because God saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. And that harkens back to Moshe's past. Moshe doesn't really see himself as a family person. And it may be that the tragedy of great leaders is they can't function in both worlds. They so, have so to take a second if you want to contrast them. Why is Moshe not a patriarch then? Moshe is never identified as a patriarch. Moshe is always Rabbeinu in, in later Judaism, of course. But Moshe is really not family. I think that's a very important insight here. Well, you can't be a family man. You know, we belong to a profession where in another generation, the classic rabbi was the type A personality, he was devoted to the synagogue and not and the family bore the burden of that. And I think there's something similar to that here. For Moshe really to be Moshe, he has to stand alone. But as a human. We really never hear of Tzipora until into well into Bamidbar. We never hear of the children. In the, we never hear of the children, and it's he brings he brings them back. After she was sent away, Moshe uh, Moshe is uh, consistently trying to have exactly that thing, having that sense of of uh, aloneness from the family, and it, it is part of the tragedy of leadership, and we have it. Uh, in in uh, you know in Bamidbar and Parshat Behalotecha with the with the episode of the Ethiopian woman, which it's not clear whether that means Sipora or some other wife. And the Midrashic tradition and the Parshanut tradition is divided between whether um, the when when Aaron and Miriam complain about Moshe, whether it's because he married a second wife or because he was celibate yes. from the wife and and inflicted suffering on the wife because. Uh, inflicted suffering on Sipara because um, he was all business all the time and and did not have a, a you know sexual marital relationship with her. And it also gives a little bit of pathos here to when Moshe appears before Paro and says Shalach etami, send forth my people. And in effect, what he's saying to Pharaoh is, I did it because I sent away my wife and kids. You could send away my people as well. You know, by the way, in, in Kabbalah, because there's a specific Kabbalistic reference to this um, about the relationship of Moshe representing Tiferet and, and the Shekhinah, the feminine face of God, is Tefillah Moshe, Ish Ha'Elohim, the husband of God. Uh, so in, in Kabbalistic sense, it has, a, it has a meaning about the male and female within the divine, but I think it's also an illustrative comment about the character of Moshe, who's kind of married to God. And... Uh, I, I think what you're missing here, uh, Jeremy, is that Isha Elohim, Moses was the first doctor of divinity. <laughs> there you go. Okay. They, 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 we move on from this episode. They get to the Sinai Desert. They camp in the desert. Jeremy, they singularly camp. Oh, they do. They do. The, those those listeners who are astute uh, 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 about Hebrew grammar know that, that those first three verbs were all plural verbs. They traveled, they came, they camped, they, 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 they. And then it's Israel, singular noun, singular verb, camped before the mountain. And the wonderful Midrash on that is that it was only when they they became Levechad and Amechad, 
they they used to be they 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 were divided they weren't connected they weren't unified only when they became a single heart were they a single nation were they ready for revelation and oh it's just that's just a, that's just one of the like home run hall of fame midrashim so I, I would put that in the top ten yeah 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 for sure well so okay so including in the categories of top ten great sukim we have this it's this passage. You saw what I did to Egypt. I brought you on eagle's wings. I brought you to me. If you listen to my voice and guard the covenant, you will be my treasure among the people. For the land is mine. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, you know, Jeremy, we used to do this class, the Jewish mission. We never did this. We never did this as the mission text, but really. Oh, it could be. Should it be. could be. It definitely could be the uh, one of the mission texts. Okay. So, so, uh, so many places to, to really interpret here. I have a Kiddush. I'm going to save it for, I'm going to do the punchline of my Kiddush. I'll see what you think about it. But give me Mamlechet Kohanim, Barry. Well, it's a kingdom of priests, and it belies a certain tension in the life of all religious people, perhaps, that we want to be close to God, which we identify perhaps with the priest, who is a servant in the temple, the Beta Mikdash, the, the holy tabernacle or the holy sanctuary of God, and being a regular person, someone on the fringes, as it were. And God is, God is a businessman. He comes here with a deal. And he knows how to negotiate, and he wants to raise the people up figuratively and literally. They're supposed to go up to Mount Sinai, um, I think is one way to understand the unfolding of the story. And God is going to come down to meet them halfway. And that's there's a physical image, and there's also a metaphysical image, as it were, a theological image, that God wants a partnership. He wants to make the people something, but they have to join him. They God cannot do it himself. And sometimes, maybe often, we overlook that central fact of religious life, that God requires us as much as we require God. This, this verse is all about partnership. I know, Jeremy, you have a... What, it's all about Brit. This Brit. is This is the place where Jewish theology is most clearly, exactly as, as, as Barry said, um, that Brit is a is a religious orientation that is not God is all powerful and human beings are just you know there's a way in which that's true that, that God is the potter and we're just nothing but clay to be to be manipulated um, there's a way in which that's part of our spiritual repertoire as well but but the deepest Jewish theme is covenantal we form a community that binds together in the human realm and that is oriented towards the divine realm and that there are demands and expectations and we are we are God's partners. And so this, this passage about, I, I need you to do this. I love you. You are am segula to me, uh, but I need you to become a kingdom of priests. And I think the Kohanim here maybe is, is best translated as servants, yeah. right? Not, not servants in the sense of like, uh, you know, uh, I need you to mop the floor. But um, but people who are, you know, we, we 
we, we know that we leave Avdut to Mitzrayim, we leave servitude to Egypt, but we but we come Kirvanu Hamakom Laavodato. We come to servitude from servitude to a tyrant to servitude to the God who is liberating. And that's what breed is all about. This is all, it's all about relationships. So here's my Kiddush, okay? So I, I was really trying to focus on the image of Kanfan Nisharim, on eagle's wings. So whether it's uh, above, whether, you know, the, 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 the fledglings are above the wings or below the wings. So the image is so striking. You know, B'nai Israel carries with them a box that has two kruvim on it, the two cherubs, and the cherubs have their arms like wings over the box. Mm. And Israel carries the covenant underneath the wings of the kruvim. So in a sense, Very the nice. carrying of the covenant is a, is a, is a, a, a an inversion of this image. That the, God carries Israel, al-kafayashim, and we carry the covenant, tachat kafayashim. Okay? Judges. That's beautiful. beautiful. Okay, get two thumbs up with that one. All right, Ten Commandments time. We 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 have five minutes to do the Ten Commandments. Don't take the commandment. Okay, listen. Don't kill. That's my one thing to tell you. Just don't kill anybody. Don't kill. Don't do evil in the name of God. Lotisa. What about? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, we can't ignore the poetry. Har Sinai Ashan Kulo, the billowing smoke of the mouth, but ish. Lots of beautiful assonance there. Anyway, okay, lots of sound, lots of lots of light. They wrote and, and, and the people see there's a wonderful psychedelic moment, you know, somebody was taking taking some, I don't know what, they ate some funny mushrooms, but they saw the sound. Okay. I want to hone in the middle point of the of the Ten Commandments. Is Shabbat? If you count the words and divide by two, it's Shabbat. Shabbat is okay. So Martin Buber has this beautiful interpretation of the Ten Commandments. So he finds twelve commandments and what we call the Ten Commandments. There are five lows, breaking the third commandment into three different commandments before Shabbat, and then there's Kabedet Avicha Vedimecha, in order that you shall live in the land, and then the five social negatives: don't murder, steal, etc. And so what Buber says is the first set of commandments, the first five, lead us to sanctify or consecrate time. And then space, consecrated space, is going to depend on those five later commandments. And so the two commandments that leap out are the two that are cast in the positives. Zahor, Yom HaShabbat, and Kabed HaRavich HaVerimacha. Okay. What about, so, so we, we get the, we get, Shabbat is as, as a central commandment. We get obviously the, the social commandments. Uh, we, we've given the commandments. They see it, they have this, this experience. Jeremy, they go back. They run away. You know, I, I, uh, I, to me, this is a really intense. Pasuk about the human spiritual inclination. Um, we all the time, you know, learn how to live in the world in a normal way. Um, we ignore certain things that enable us to function healthily and normally and, and help us get up in the morning. You know, we all know that we're going to die and we compartmentalize and we don't think about it. For those of us who are believers, 
We know that there is a God in the world, a realm of cosmic meaning. And, you know, sometimes you just got to get up and mow the lawn and cook breakfast and you don't want to think. Well, but sometimes heavens open up. You know, the prophet Ezekiel begins, the heavens opened up, I saw visions of God and I freaked out. Um, and you have this moment here where the people have been brought to Sinai, they've been taken out of Egypt, they've been brought to Mount Sinai, the, the, the it's smoking, it's trembling, it's terrifying. And they encounter the divine breaking through the distance that we normally place. And they run away and they can't, they can't handle it. It's not that I'm blaming them because of course it overwhelms them. I'm not saying that if I was there, I would have been tougher. But I think that the Torah is recording uh, one of the features of human spirituality that we, that, that, to encounter God is to like be taken out of normal human existence. And the people run away and Moshe says, no, 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 don't run away. Don't run away. And they say, no, 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 we cannot handle it. You talk to God. You tell us what God says. We're running away. And then the, the, this little passage ends. Uh, Moses draws near to the dense darkness where the divine is. To me, that is a symbol of the spiritual master, the true spiritual master is able to bear and draw near to the divine in a way that like normal people uh, are, are kind of, it's a bit of a failure of nerve on their part. Well, you called it spiritual heroism, that the, that the, the, the leader that, and look at the arc of, of where Moshe has come not only from the beginning of, of the Book of Shemot, but from the beginning of this Parsha. You know, God is, you know, dealing with, you know, lost objects, and now he is, he has to enter heaven. There's a spiritual audacity or a spiritual heroism here. And 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 that's, you know, where our, our Parsha is drawing to a conclusion. We get a small coda here. But um, I don't know, Barry, you want to just... I wanted to add one thing to what Jeremy said. So we began by talking about the singularity of the Am and how there's a movement from the people as individuals into one community to prepare them for the revelation at Mount Sinai. One might think that being in such a massive community together for one experience that the people would derive chizuk from each other. But instead, in a sense, each of them stands alone before God and the only one who could actually bear that is Moshe. And that really, I think, as Jeremy suggested, is Moshe's greatness, is that he can bear that, whereas mere mortals cannot. Next week, by the way, at the end of Parshat Mishpatim, it, the, we, you know, we're, we're heretical conservative rabbis. We know that these texts have histories and they, they have splices and they, and they don't all seem to flow smoothly. Um, you know, in Yitro, Exodus 20, and then at the end of Parsha Mishpatim, Exodus 24, it's it's not exactly clear how it all fits together. Moshe's up and down and up and down. He's giving messages. He's relaying to the guys, relaying to the people. Um, and then at the end of Mishpatim, uh, Moshe and Aaron, where I'm thinking to myself, where's Aaron when everyone's running away? Nadav and Avihu and 70 elders come up, and they have a feast, and they see God by Yechezu. Um, Elohim, they see God. And so later on in Mishpatim, we do have a kind of a more uh, expansive group of people, at least, who can bear this un otherwise unbearable spiritual revelation. But right now, it's portrayed as 
all the people, all the um is just freaked out. And and they say they say in some level, you know, to Elliot, what you were saying, okay, can you please give us, you know, Baba Metzia and what to do when we're fighting over uh that's that's my coat. No, that's my coat. That's in some sense an easier form of religion than uh, the heavens open up and I see visions of the Lord. You know, I was reading recently uh, in, in the book of Kings, you know, the word Arafel appears there when, when King Solomon yeah. inaugurates the, the Amal Shafin, yeah, Amal and, Amal and he has to go into the Arafel. And, yeah. and, you know, it's not an accident that these two words are appearing. Of course, the tabernacle is the, the attempt to reproduce Sinai. Uh, but I think it's such a, we, we're left, the Parsha leaves us with this, this amazing image. You know, Moshe is the solitary leader, and, and, and yet Moshe is very much in relationship. He's, you know, in this, not conflict, but in the tension of all of these different relationships. And the people now exist, as we have said, in this very unique relationship with the master of the universe. Attempt to lead. You will be for me, and 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 if this parsha is, doesn't really explain that, express that, demonstrate, I don't know what does. This is where it all comes together, and this is a good place where we can hold everyone in suspense for the acceptance of the covenant. Amen. Of course, all the all the details, which will come next week. In the meantime, we are in the middle of this snowstorm. We're at the end of it. We're wishing everybody a beautiful Shabbat. Thank you all for listening and watching us. We really appreciate it. We're, we're somewhere in the hundreds now of, of, of viewers and listeners between all our different communities. So we're, we're just delighted that you spend this time with us. We thank you for this. Send us your emails. We'll, we'll promise to get back to you. And we enjoy just everything, all the communication. We enjoy this time with you together. In the meantime, have a wonderful Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.